This evening at 6 o'clock, Monday and Tuesday at 7 o'clock, we'll be gathering here for what we're calling revival services. Some of you may have grown up in a tradition where you think, okay, I know what revival services are. And others of you may be thinking, I'm not even sure I've really heard that word before. So what actually is revival about? Actually, Dennis Kinlaw, who is a um, president of Asbury College, said that the purpose of camp meeting and the purpose of revival services, listen to this, is to correct spiritual slippage in the life of a Christian. I didn't even know slippage was a word. But stop and think about that. If you know a time when you've been closer to the Lord than where you're at right now, there's been spiritual slippage. If you can look back on a time where you're like, man, I was on fire for Christ, and then now it's, eh, you know, that's spiritual slippage. And the purpose of this morning and this evening and Monday and Tuesday is to just carve out some time to correct that spiritual slippage. So I'm going to ask uh, Reverend uh, Kerry Willis if he'll come forward at this time. Kerry Willis is um, the Philadelphia District Church of the Nazarene District Superintendent. And when we talked about revival services, we thought there's no better person to just spend the next few days with than Pastor Willis. And so it's a privilege today that he's going to lead us in our revival time. So would you like to welcome him as he leads us? Thanks, brother. Love you, Pastor Mark, mm. checking, checking, Kentucky Fried Chicken. I might have hit the mute. Well, let's start over. Can you hear me now? All right. Wow, Pastor Mark, it's uh, it's really a privilege to be here. Uh, thank you for entrusting me for these four services, actually five, because we have twice this morning. Um, spiritual slippage. Uh, first and foremost, I want you to know that the, the preacher's working on that, <laughs> that the Lord would correct the spiritual slippage in me. Uh, we also can have a spiritual blockage, <laughs> and sometimes we forget the things we should remember. And I think revival can help us in all of those ways. Uh, I did come to the district uh, about a year and a half ago, and uh, <clears throat> I didn't know exactly you know, why I was here, and I still don't really totally know. Uh, I know who I'm here for. I'm here to bring the presence of the Lord through my life. And, um, but as a, a young, young man, I was pretty sure that God was calling me to be a revivalist, an evangelist perhaps. And when he got me to Bible college, he pulled a quick one on me, which God can do that. And uh, he made me a local pastor for 24 years. I didn't see that coming. I didn't think it was what I preferred in life. 
but he turned it into a beautiful, sacred 24 years. During that time, I told the local church that I pastored, I feel like I'm an evangelist at heart, so you're going to have to give me some freedom as your pastor. And so probably for about 10 to 12 Sundays a year, I was at another church preaching revival. Uh, Because I am a Wesleyan theologically, which is what we as Nazarenes claim to be, and I think what makes me truest as a Wesleyan is a comment, a statement that John Wesley made, the world is my parish. And I just sense that um, the Lord has called us to the whole world. And he can place us wherever he wants, whenever he wants. Um, And so today I'm in Lansdale. Uh, My wife is with me. I gave her one service off today. We are traveling in the RV. This is our last trip of the the year because we need to winterize it. Um, But we're going to make it. We've worked out that one cold night we're having tonight. Um, But we have been preaching revival across the district since we came. I've lost count of how many local churches. But, you know, then again, love keeps no record of wrong or right. (laughs) We just know that we have enjoyed being in the ministry for the Lord. Um, Usually I have a, a pretty good idea about where we're going But uh, I also, I live in neutral when it comes to that because the Lord has this way of shifting me in a different direction because, see, he knows who's here today. He knows who's going to be here this evening and Monday evening and Tuesday evening. And I want you to know that, that God has shifted me off times in a totally different direction from where I thought we were going because of one person that he wanted to hear a certain message. Others got help, but he is that kind of a God. He died for the world, but he really sees us one at a time. And he is a a great Savior. And so yesterday he began to, you know, tease me a little, which he can do. And uh, I thought I might be settled in the direction of where we should be here at uh, Lansdale. But he made it clear before I laid my head down <laughs> that uh, I had it all wrong. He was kind of hiding the direction from me. But I'm thrilled that uh, there have been many affirmations in the last few hours that were on target. Also, unless he changes up again, which he he can, and I won't apologize for him doing that, um, this season that we're sharing together now through Tuesday night will be kind of like a series, which is very rare for me to preach in revival. But the passage demands it. There is really no way you can go into this passage for just one service and do it service. So if you have your Bibles today and would like to turn or open your Bible app there, uh, we're going to be in Luke 15. Luke 
literary people of the world uh, voted a few years ago. I saw a, a poll. And they voted for the greatest piece of literature ever penned. And uh, this is the chapter that they pulled the story from. Luke 15. And um, because we're going to need to break it up in about four pieces, uh, I'll get to that story on Monday evening, Lord willing. But the whole passage leans toward that story. Um, what is this passage about? I believe that if you put four words around this passage, it would be come home to hope. Come home to hope. Uh, the other idea is that the message that I sense that I'm sharing today, this, this first piece, is really focused primarily on the questions of why. Why? My mother, um, she sang and still sings in the choir at the Free Grace Wesleyan Church on Harker's Island, North Carolina. Now, what you should know about us down in the islands, uh, we have no formal training when it comes to music. Uh, all the musicians pretty much play by ear, and uh, all the vocalists sing by letter. We open our mouth and let her fly. That's what that means. And my mom doesn't have a trained voice, but I never heard a more beautiful voice sing to the Lord than my mom's. And uh, I miss waking up in, in her house, actually. Um, and often I would hear her at the sink or going about the chores, and she would be singing certain songs. And they are stuck beautifully in my mind. And uh, this, this particular message today, it answers the question, why? And my mom sang a song about why. Why did he go to Calvary? What did he see in worthless me? His precious life. He gave my sinful soul to save. When I was lost, he came and found me. It's called mercy. And from my guilt, he then unbound me. It's called pardon. And when he sees the way I live, he can still say I forgive. There's only one word to describe it. It's called love. I've heard a lot of worship in churches. But I never heard nothing more beautiful than when my mother would get lost in wonder, love, and praise around the house. And I hadn't thought about her singing that song for a long time, but that was some affirmation the Lord brought me. That we are in the direction that he wants. So the message is to primarily answer questions of why. Let me give you some of the questions. Why was the Son of God born as a baby 
to a virgin in Bethlehem? Why did he come to live among us? Why did he go to Jerusalem and get himself arrested? Why was he beaten nearly to death? Why was he nailed to a cross to die? Why did he cry out, it is finished? Why was he buried in a borrowed tomb? Why on that glorious Sunday morning did he start breathing again? Why is his birth, his life, his suffering, his death, his burial, and his resurrection important to you and to me? Why, 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 why did he do it all? Well, the short answer is, Jesus did it all so all of us could come home to hope. <laughs> That's, uh, that really is the short answer. The longer answer is found in Luke 15. And I call Luke 15 the Lord's lost and found department. And so if you would lean in with me just a little bit, uh, we're going to have a beautiful backdrop for the understanding of the whys, of our Lord's passion. Uh, this is called a parable. And a parable is like a heavenly story with an earthly meaning. You know, it's a, it's a story brought down from heaven when Jesus shared it, but had an earthly meaning. And more specifically, let me just read a little bit here in, in Luke chapter 15. And then I'll, I'll come back uh, to some of this, but let me read today's portion. The lost sheep. <laughs> I love the way that Luke 15 begins. I pray it for my own ministry. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. I love that. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over ninety-nine others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. That's the opening of the Lord's lost and found department. Now in those first two verses, we can see Jesus lovingly reaching out his soon-to-be nail-scarred hands to the lost and the dying. Tax collectors, other notorious sinners, often, often, not sometimes, they often came to hear Jesus. When I pastored in Virginia, uh, I had sort of a back section of notorious sinners. <laughs> they had become my friends uh, around the community, and they trusted me enough to come to church on Sunday 
even though they had not yet leaned in to the goodness of the Lord. Do you know that group of non-confessing sinners gave me more compliments on my sermons than the saints did? They would stop me in the foyer and say things like, Pastor, don't give up on us. Pastor, you were on my toes today. Keep stomping. Because I had told them uh, what I had heard in a book I had read called The Celtic Way to Evangelism. And in that book, the author, Hunter, uh, he made this statement. The local church should be a safe place to hear the dangerous message of the gospel. And they took me up on that. And one of the hardest things when I left was some of them who have still not yet given their life to the Lord, but they're still in the conversation. They came to me like it was over for them now. <laughs> but I, I handed the reins over to a fine young pastor. Now let him have a little time with them and see what happens. They're still listening. Often. They came often. And wouldn't you know that Jesus reached out to those lonely lost souls that no one else cared for. He even declared the ones despised and rejected were in fact the very reason that he came into the world. Luke 19 and verse 10, we love that verse. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who were lost. That's, that's why he came. That's why he was hanging around with him and they were hanging around with him. The lost could feel his love. They came out of their hiding places when Jesus showed up. And Jesus came and invited the lost to be found, the, the homeless to come home to hope. And hope has a name, you know. <laughs> it's Jesus. He came to reclaim lost, hurt, and hiding, rebellious souls. He, he reached out to them, rebuking the religious establishment and resisted all public opinion. The religious establishment went crazy. <laughs> and the common people were amazed when they saw Jesus receiving the rebellious ones. When we hear that he received the outcast, we know that he gave them close access to himself. Even eating with them? <laughs> do you know that there is nothing you can do in the Eastern culture, nothing, I mean nothing, bold letters, nothing, that is considered more intimate with another individual than sharing a meal with them? <laughs> because when you share a meal in that culture... It really means something. <laughs> it means there is love, friendship, and forgiveness being extended at the table. I think that's a lot of reasons why a lot of families are coming apart. They've left the table. They have left the family table. Uh, that could be a whole other series. <laughs> Someone said that the, uh, Henry Nowen said, I want to give him credit because it's good. He said, the family table, when all is in harmony, is like heaven. And when all is not, it's like hell. <laughs> Why is that? Because the table, the meal, is where we offer love, 
friendship and forgiveness to one another. So I would encourage families wherever you can to reinstitute the family table. <laughs> because a lot of good things can happen there. It's a very intimate, intimate sharing. My wife was good at this. She grew up in a broken home. They didn't have much family table time. And uh, when we got married... You know, sometimes my job would keep me late, and I would call and say things like, well, well you eat it while it's hot, honey. And I'll, she said, no way, we'll both eat it cold. Because she would rather have the warmth of a relationship and a cold meal than vice versa. And then when our kids were growing up, you know, we had a lot of things going on, and I'd say, well, you and the kids, you know, just go ahead and eat. She said, no, we'll just wait. We'll have a snack. And when you get here, if they're still awake, we'll, we'll sit at the table. You know, she understood that there was an intimacy about the table, and it may be what saved our marriage. <laughs> Just to be honest, I never confessed that, and she's not in the room, but uh, <laughs> I'm sure she'll hear it. Somebody tell her. Jesus came for this. I believe, with all my heart, that, you know, Jesus just rented a, a, a grave for the weekend, you know, like I rent Enterprise. <laughs> he didn't need uh, the grave for very long, and so he rented one from Joseph of Arimathea. But I believe that if there had been an epitaph on, if he'd have stayed in the grave long enough, and I'm glad he didn't, but if, if he had stayed in the grave long enough to have an epitaph, to have a a headstone marker or something engraved in stone, I believe I know what would have been there. Jesus of Nazareth, friend of sinners. <laughs> That's probably what they would have carved. Wow. Because he gave them close access to himself. Yet today, we believe that if we're living rebellious, we need to stay far away from Jesus. We, people say things to me when I pastor. Well, I see them out at you know the coffee shop and invite them to come be with us on Sunday. Oh, pastor, the roof cave in over there at that church if I come. <laughs> no, no, no. That's why the roof was put on the church. <laughs> the idea is that if you're far from Jesus, you have closer access to him. <laughs> because he came to seek and to save those who are lost. And you know, Pastor Mark, he's still doing that. Do you know that he is still seeking to save those who are lost? Now he's doing it through us. <laughs> wow. If we are believers, we're the sanctuary of his presence, and he is still seeking to save those who are lost through these sanctuaries. I know it's low-class housing. I understand that. But that's what he prefers. I mean, he was born in a cave, after all. Or some say a barn, but they just haven't been there in Bethlehem to see where it was, you know. But he, his presence in us is still seeking to save those who are lost. And so, wouldn't it be right that if, if the, the notorious sinners were the ones that had the close access to Jesus, that those ought to be the people who have close access to us? God help me. Oh, Jesus. Thank you. 
Thank you. Well, let me get moving on here. This is getting deeper than I had imagined. But we got till Tuesday night to swim ashore. <laughs> Luke 15, verses 3 and 4. Let me repeat those. Uh, so Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Well, he said what he'd do, and we've read that, but to make his point for coming into the world more clear to everyone, and especially to, to reach out more specifically to rescue the lost ones he came to find, Jesus told three simple but profound stories. And today we're listening to the, the first story. He started with the lost sheep, and we've heard that. Uh, he said, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to answer your question. And then he said, uh, won't he leave the 99 others? I mean, if he's lost one sheep, uh, won't he? I mean, it's very obvious to Jesus. Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? It's so natural for the way Jesus thinks. Because the lost is what's on his mind. So one day, evidently, while counting his sheep, the shepherd in the story, uh, expecting to find 100 woolly ones, comes up with only 99. And, and motivated by the, the threat of danger for that, that, that one lost lamb and the personal loss he feels deep within his own heart, the good shepherd takes immediate action to rescue and to restore this sheep back into the fold. And so we see here the good shepherd's compassion for a lost sheep. The word lost, you know, is the same as translated perish. In other words, this little lost lamb was in great danger of ruin, being destroyed or lost from the fold forever. And the good shepherd knew this and could not sit idly by, but he had to get involved in saving what was lost. Why did Jesus come to earth? Why did he live among us? Why did he get beaten nearly to death? Why did he die on a cross, get buried in a borrowed tomb, start breathing again on that first glorious Easter Sunday morning? It was the only way he could reach us and rescue us and restore us to the family. God knows the lost condition of human souls. In Isaiah 53 and verse 6, we read these words, All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on Jesus, on Him, His Son, our Savior, the sins, the rebellion of us all. So this is the burden that's been laid on Jesus by the Father. And that's why... He must go after the one that is lost. And 1 Peter 2 and verse 25, You are like sheep who wandered away. And when Jesus left heaven, He knew the danger we were in. He knew that unless He came to be crucified, buried, resurrected, that ruin, destruction, hell... Yes, eternal separation from the Good Shepherd forever would be our lot. Romans 6.23, 
For the wages of sin is death. He knew this. And it's why he came. Verse 5. And when he has found it, that one lost sheep, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. The compassion of the good shepherd came for one sheep that was lost. Look to your neighbor and say, I am one. Come on, let's get a little Pentecostal. Look to your neighbor and say, I am one. Oh, man. In the story, just one sheep was missing. The good shepherd still went to seek and to save that one He sees extreme value in each and every sheep. In John 10, verse 3, he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. If you ever doubt that God loves you, look no further than the cross his son died on. It's true, the old song, when he was on the cross, you were on his mind. And so was I. I was on his mind because I was lost. And I'm the reason that he came. That's my alarm. That means I'm nearing the end, at least, of this part. Uh, you know, when a pastor takes his watch off and lays it on, it means nothing. But when he says an alarm, he's serious. You see? Mm. I mean, he wants to celebrate. He, 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 he joyfully carries... This sheep home. And then verse 6 says, When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. <laughs> wow. Oh, man, that Crowder song is so true. Oh, how he loves us. <laughs> oh, how he loves us. Oh, it comes to my heart all the time. Oh, how he loves me. Oh, how he loves me. In verse 7, in the same way there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Why, 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 why? Why did Jesus die? Because he has compassion for the lost. He searches lovingly for the lost. Why, why, why? Because he has commitment. He goes and he saves that one. Seemingly hopeless. Why, why, why? Because he's on conquest. <laughs> he, he has compassion. He has commitment. And he is on conquest. He will not be denied. He shouts with all joy after the rescue. Because it was a conquest. And he calls everybody in for a celebration. Today, if at all you sense that your life is seemingly hopeless. If you're feeling spiritually homeless inside. If somehow you know deep down you've strayed away from your loving good shepherd, I just have one question. Do you want to come home to hope? (laughs) Do you want to have 
a reunion? Do you want to come back? You know, when you received these elements earlier, it was more confirmation, Pastor Mark. <laughs> we took the body and the blood of the Lamb of God. <laughs> the Lamb of God became the shepherd to save the lambs. Oh, it's just all, you can't make this stuff up. And when you came to the table today, you were answering why. Um, I don't exactly know how you close when you're not finished. <laughs> but I'm not worried. I ain't scared. Because the Lord has put us on this trajectory. And I know that if there's one lost sheep in here today, he would sacrifice the time of every found one in order to make sure that one sheep heard. And so here's what i like for us to do. Let's stand. Nobody's going to get hurt. But some people might get hope. Some people might come home. Some people might get help. We won't need any music. I'm going to make it simpler. But thank you for being ready. Uh, as soon as we say amen, you play something. I want all the pastors of the church uh, that just come stand up here in front of the altars. Just stand and face the people, okay? We're going to make it as easy as I know how. Any other pastors that are here? Uh, how about people who know how to pray? I have a few of those. Uh, just a few people who know how to pray uh, with people, know how to love people. Good. Um, I'm going to lead us in a response song. And it can also be our benediction, unless Brother Mark wants to add some things. Um, and if anyone would like to just come and have prayer, if you want someone to pray with you, just choose somebody to stand in. If you would rather just kneel and pray on your own, you can do that. If you want to turn your chair into an altar, you can pray where you are. Uh, there's no pressure. It's all pleasure. There's no obligation, but there is opportunity. There's no intimidation, but there is an invitation. And so if you'd like to come home to hope today, we're making it as easy as we can. Even a child. If there's a child in the room and the child would hear what I have shared today, that child can come home to hope. It could be the oldest people in the room, the ones who may be nearest to eternity. You can come home to hope. It's not too late. And this is the song. And if you know it, you can sing with me. But bear in mind, someone near you may want to come and just have prayer. Don't be shy, okay? If you want prayer, just come. If not, that's okay too. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to Him belong. They are weak, but He is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes.
Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. Well, if you'll come back, I promise it'll get gooder. Uh, because I've read the rest of the story. And I know some of the things the Lord has said to share. And I hope you will. And even after we've dismissed, I ask these to stand here for a few minutes in the afterglow of the service. And if anyone would like to have a prayer about anything, we want you to have someone to pray with you. Pastor Mark? Did he leave or is he still here? Pastor Ann? Thanks. We hope you will join us tonight at 6 o'clock. We'll have... um, Another worship team visiting with us, and uh, Pastor Carrie will be back. So would you go this morning, in the name of Jesus Christ, in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, would he work on your heart as you go? Would you respond joyfully to what he's saying to you today? Amen.